Hello, everybody. Hey, welcome back. Episode two. Yeah, episode two is second week. Yeah, it's a uh, long time coming. Long time coming. Yeah, after a few months. <laughs> this was uh, the longest week of my life. Anticipating doing this episode, I've been very excited. As a, as a, as have I, you know, uh, setting up social medias and sending out emails to any possible guest I could possibly get on. It's Lots been, of places where you guys can follow us and feed our egos just a little bit. Yeah, or give us shit when we're screwing up. Please. You know, cr- constructive criticism is where it's at. And welcome to the second episode of the Functioning Pack Podcast. Austin, we don't make mistakes. Shh. <laughs> so, it's going to be a... A long episode today. Good episode. We're going to talk about a bunch of shit. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to talk uh, real estate. We're going to talk, uh, well, it seems like we're going to be talking about religion a little bit today, too. A little bit, yeah. yeah. And uh, we have a wonderful guest on, uh, my my beautiful mother, who is a bit more than happy to be on. And uh, yeah, so say hi to everybody, Mom. Hi, everybody. So why don't you go ahead and uh, introduce yourself? So my name is Ala Baskin. And I'm Austin's mom. Any relation to Carol? <laughs> Carol. <laughs> Carol Baskin. <laughs> I don't know who Carol Baskin is. Oh, good. <laughs> it's better that. It's better off that way, I think. Okay. <laughs> I'll take your word for it. <laughs> so, it's going to be a, a fun episode. We have a lot of, uh, a lot of topics to go over today. So, let's keep it nice and simple. So, first, who are you? Tell me, tell me about yourself. Okay. So, I'm a proud mother of four. Austin being number two out of the four. Um, I'm so proud also, mother of three. I'm very proud of all four. <laughs> Ryan, fuck you. <laughs> um, I'm a healthcare worker. Excellent. And I also started in real estate as a real estate agent actually a year ago. Define healthcare worker for me. Uh, well, I work for CLSC as a nursing assistant. Okay. Uh, but I worked for 11 years at a long-term facility. Okay, like a retirement home type deal, or uh, end of life care. Okay, okay, this isn't the word for that. Like hospice, if you will. Yeah, you know, palliative. Well, it's it's palliative slash long term. So okay. Alzheimer's, gotcha. dementia, physical incapacity. So not to be too crass, but where you send people to die. Pretty much, that's the last stop. Yes. Okay, gotcha. And uh, I guess the next question is, where did you come from? Well, I was born in Ukraine a few years ago. I've been excited for this question all day. <laughs> Um, I lived there until I was 11. Okay. And then at 11 years old, we moved uh, to Israel. That was in 1990, um, where I learned a lot about the world. And um, pretty much then in 1992, moved to Canada. Okay. What was it like growing up in Ukraine? That must have been interesting. It was great, actually. Okay. Honestly, uh, it was communist uh, communist time at that time still, but so towards was... the end of that whole era. Okay. Uh, which means that it wasn't, you know, Stalin type of communism. It was more modern. And uh, as a child, I did not feel that whole negative aspect. So you're communism. at like the tail end of communist Ukraine. A very like last little bit. The whispers of the Soviet Union. Yes, yeah. yes, Actually, yes. when she was, you were about how old were you at the time? It was, it was 86, so you were what at that time? I was six. So yeah, when Almost Chernobyl seven. had happened, she was six years old and in Ukraine in Ukraine at the time. What year was that again? 86. Wow. 
Yeah. What what was that like? That must have been interesting. I mean, okay, I've I've watched the sh- the show. Okay, I know they didn't tell anybody jack shit about what was going on. But what did you know of Chernobyl when it happened? Well, actually, my grandmother's brother, so my great uncle, he was one of the top Russian Navy guys. Okay. So he was up in intelligence, but he lived in uh, well, right now they call it. Um, it was Leningrad. Mm-hmm. Now it's Saint, back to Saint Petersburg. Saint Petersburg, yeah. Um, so he had previewed knowledge to this whole thing because of his rank. Mm-hmm. Um, so my grandparents found out about the accident much sooner than the rest of the population did. Okay. Um, and um, basically, they were discussing of whether to take me and have me sent over to Leningrad for safekeeping. Away from the uh, radiation, mm-hmm. but how, then they, how close does this, this uh, paint a picture? Two hours away, so like, so it's from, about two hundred kilometers. And so, so that means you guys were like right Pretty in the ex- expected exposure area for the radiation. Well, we were already exposed long before we knew we were exposed. Well, actually, Sick. I think I remember. I remember <laughs> very vaguely you telling me that people who left and came back got sick, and people who. But stayed. that's where, yeah, that's where we were driving with that. Is uh, that they decided for me to stay put mm-hmm. um, because eventually I would have have had to come back. So they decided that it perhaps it's better to just stay in place. Okay. Versus be exposed, go a little further, come back, get re-exposed. Get exposed again. So, yeah. um, and a lot of kids were sent away when it actually became public knowledge what mm-hmm. had happened. Which was way later than it should have been, from my understanding. Well, I mean, should have been, should have been the same day. Yes. It should have been like, you know, like CNN, breaking news <laughs> kind yeah. of situation. Uh, but I think the public only found out like a week after it has happened that's insanity exactly that's can you imagine that happening like today well yeah wow. there's also a nuclear power plant here in quebec too that's not too far away it's closer to quebec city but that's okay at least we we build them properly the soviet union did not so yeah, there was, yeah. I'm, like, I'm, kind of, <laughs> I'm actually kind of obsessed with like nuclear reactors and stuff like that so like the rbmk reactors that were used mm-hmm. in, at for example at chernobyl it was not necessary. It was a mixture of human error and design flaw. Yeah, but it was the cheap. Exploding. They built them cheap. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, it was something, I think it's called a positive void coefficient or something like that, where it's just a positive feedback loop of steam and heat, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which then exploded the lid of the core, which would, I think it weighed too Well, you have pounds. these like lead pistons that they would drop in to like cool it, but they dropped them all in at the same time, which created a shitload of steam and then popped the top right off. Well, no, that's because the tips of the cores were made out of graphite. Graphite, thank you. Yeah. Not graphite, lead. Graphite, uh, yeah. yeah, that's it. And when they initiated that shutdown button, it acted essentially as a detonator. And yep. then, you know, the worst nuclear accident in human history happened. Yep. Common misconception is it wasn't like a like an explosion. It was more like a, like a pressure cooker that had its top blown it's off. It's still considered yeah. a thermal explosion, though, because yeah. it's, it's hot steam, right? But it wasn't the same as like a nuclear explosion where you'd like blow up an I atom bomb or something like that. But that was a really good clarification. Yes. yes. Yeah, no, I was... Uh, and uh, now there's like a whole new. There's still people studying it there today. Mm-hmm. There's people that still go. Uh, they have. Uh, they built like this new sarcophagus. I think it's called. It's called yeah. the new safe confinement or something like that. Yeah, they put it on just a couple of years ago, from what I understand. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and they're still studying it and decommissioning the whole plant and. Yeah, it's interesting stuff. 
Yeah, I think it's uh, crazy when you look at, like, the radiation levels they detect around there. Like, the elephant's foot has, like, twice the radiation of the sun or some shit like that. No, it got as hot as... as it got hotter than the surface of the sun when that's it was insane. melting down. And that's something, like, on the surface of the of this planet. That's weird. Yeah, well, think yeah. about it. That reaction... That reaction is... It's self-sustaining, right? Yeah. So, it's basically a way nuclear reactor works is you have fuel rods that are placed in a very specific geometry and that are they're very specifically made like the rods are in a specific geometry mm-hmm. and they're set in a certain way so that neutrons are constantly bouncing off of each other i'm not smart enough for this conversation no okay <laughs> but yeah so that's what happened at chernobyl and uh, it's still considered uninhabitable for like what another couple thousand years or something like that yes but mm-hmm. funny nature is taking over so yeah lovely lovely way to see of if people cease to exist planet will survive and be much better off for it indeed yeah i think the wolf packs there are thriving right now the bears are thriving too wolves are back it's it's really it's quite quite interesting i would love to go and visit it's one of it's on my it's on my bucket list you you wouldn't no well Well, i guess not yeah you can go there there's places that are that are safe if you go to like pritipiat i think the uh I think the radiation radiation levels, at, like even at the at their highest, are still relatively safe in Pripyat. Yes, and uh, you're not supposed to stay longer than a set preset amount of time, yeah. and so on and so forth. But honestly, just go on a safari. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> it's better. It's I think you would be disappointed with Chernobyl. You think so? I think so. Yeah. Honestly, I just I just don't see it being that interesting. Yeah, I guess that's fair. I mean, I guess the wonder would wear off once I like detect like radiation on my on my Geiger counter. Like, yep, that's the highlight of this trip. Exactly. Look at that radiation. I, I, exactly. Well, no, you can visit the plant. <laughs> yeah, but like, you can't go anywhere. You can't go anywhere cool though. Well, no, you can go into. I saw a video about it recently uh, with this uh, YouTube channel by the name of Kyle Hill. Uh, he went and visited the actual plant at Chernobyl and was able to see the reactors themselves like the other three reactors that were at the plant and uh, at one point they were walking through this corridor where behind the wall there was the core where where it had it once been mm-hmm. you can visit the reactor reactor number four's control room like you can go visit there you just you're not allowed to touch anything yeah for good reason and you have to actually like change your clothes and go into like uh, like some sort of airlock to to avoid contamination the stories from like what happened like the day of the accident and like the following like emergency like response to it is insane then it was handled very poorly Yep. Yeah, Firefighters. Well, they, they didn't know any better. They're yeah. like, there's no way a nuclear reactor can explode. I mean, they, But I think the worst part of the Chernobyl right, accident but... was the secrecy of it. Mm-hmm. The, that the government, like the KGB and... Well, that's like very typical of the Soviet Union. They didn't want to show any weakness. Exactly. Especially towards, like, so let's say, America. Because uh, mm-hmm. tensions were hot then, right? There was a lot of tension well, between the Soviets. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, also, the, um, also, for like USSR in general, and mm-hmm. I mean, you'll see that actually... Um, in you'll notice it if you lo- know them long enough. Uh, anybody who came from the former USSR, there is that pride factor. To a fault. To a fault. Yeah. Meaning that would, ha- and it was seen as failure, mm-hmm. and perfection is 
the aim. But from what I from what I understand about the trial, uh, they were okay with accepting failure as long as it wasn't their fault. My point exactly. <laughs> In other words, it's okay if they throw somebody else under the bus as yeah. long as it's not themselves. No, we're perfect. We did everything it's right. Not us. It's it was that, this. For sure. It was that fucking idiot Dyatlov who was screwed with shit. Yeah. yeah, but I I think there was a quote with Gor- uh, what is it Gorbachev? Is that his name? Gorbachev. Gorbachev. Sorry. Um, of like he, I remember saying it was at the end of the Chernobyl series where he said something along the lines of the Chernobyl accident was what may have led to the fall of the USSR. Well, I'm sure it was one of the many catalysts. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, because they couldn't, you couldn't keep that hidden for very long. They were detecting radiation in Sweden. Oh yeah, for sure. I believe it. Like, <laughs> I think the craziest scene that I remember from uh, from the show is when the radiation, when the clouds are going over the forest, and you see the forest just like turning red. I don't think that actually happened, but like, very no, good idea of like. <laughs> the forest right next to Chernobyl was green. Oh wow! <laughs> so I don't think it turned any other forest red. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> but, and so what? Uh, what the, was the catalyst, or what was the decision that ent- eventually led you to leave Ukraine? Mm-hmm. Well, I was eleven, so I really wasn't making any decisions. Okay. <laughs> uh, I was just coasting. I was having a good time, and as I said, life in the USSR was actually pretty kind to me, mm-hmm. um, because because just to touch on what communism is, theoretically, it's actually a really great system Mm -hmm. theoretically theoretically yes um because it was equality for also school all school was free meaning Mm -hmm. like not just elementary and high school we're talking about college university you can get your phd and whatever you like and it's you're not going to walk away with student debt Mm -hmm. and uh you know starve trying to get it and so on and so forth um all extracurricular activities that you were you know, you were deemed to have been good at or should have been good at was actually, um, you know, encouraged. Mm-hmm. And again, everything was free of charge. So I had the opportunity to be on a choir, like a professional uh, level choir, classical music for six years. Um, oh, okay. I was um, on the running team. I was in art class four years and like I was able to do all those things mm-hmm. because it was readily available and it didn't depend on my grandparents budget okay that makes sense um, but then of course there is human factor that you will throw into the theory of communism mm-hmm. and you know that's where you run into problems yes <laughs> which I personally did not have the opportunity to experience thankfully mm. Um, so I left at 11 to Israel. What uh, what made your parents want to, or grandparents rather? Well, that was actually, leave? you know, Gorbachev was in power and he was kind of opening the gates up a little bit where people were able to travel okay. to certain places. It was much easier to do at that time. And at that time, Israel had made a decree saying that anybody who who had... Any Jewish blood in them. Basically, the categ- like to qualify, uh, they went back to World War Two, and they said like if you were good enough to kill to be killed in World War Two by the Nazis, then you're good enough to become a citizen of Israel. So if you could prove that you were like a quarter Jewish or whatnot, then you were qualified to go to Israel. We were half Jewish, like I'm half Jewish, my father was and my grandparents were 100% Jewish, mm-hmm. 
So they had applied for citizenship and we were scheduled to leave, I believe in October of 1990, but my father and I, we left at the end of August of 1990 due to a very interesting story of mafia chasing him, trying to kill him kind of deal. So, Yeah, we have to unpack that. (laughs) (laughs) Granted, also, I mean, uh, that also means I also have the opportunity to be an, a citizen of Israel if I wanted to because my mother is still currently a citizen of Israel. Mm-hmm. So like I can do birthright if I want to, which is a trip. Uh, I think it's a, like a government-funded trip or something of that nature where I can visit the country of Israel, visit the motherland, if you will, mm-hmm. and uh, do that. But if I were to become a citizen, then I would automatically have to go into the military. If you were to live there, right? If I were to be a citizen and live there, yeah, I would have yeah. to go into the military. But you can be a citizen and not live there, right? How does that work? That's a question for her, man. Well, he can he can become a citizen, but in order to do that, he would have to do his duty. Mm-hmm. And even if he doesn't live in the country, uh, the minute he becomes of age, army age, he would have to go to Israel and do, my, do my your dues, pay your dues. Pay my, okay, pay my okay. And how does that, uh, I'm a little unfamiliar with what the uh, military service is like there, but what's the minimum? Uh, for may, for men, it's uh, three and a half years. For women, it's three years. Oh, wow. Okay. And when you say come of age, what does that mean 18. in Israel? 18. Okay. Yeah. So when you're 18, you join. Yeah. yeah. Okay. She, ha- I think she's never had to go into the military uh, because she had my my older sister, she had me, and she was married. So when and she I was went living here, and she was living here, okay. but when she went back to visit, oh, I had to get a release from the general of Israel, Israeli army, before I landed on the mother, on motherland. Because okay. otherwise, then you get at the airport, you get flagged, then you get taken to an army base, and then you have to go through this whole process. <laughs> sounds like so, a nightmare. But because she was married and had children, she was able to get exempt. So I have a letter from the general of Israeli army stating that I'm exempt from the army because I was married and had children at the time. Okay. And how long did you you stay in Israel again? Two years. Two years. Okay. And what made you come to Canada? Again, I wasn't making any decisions. I was 13. My dad, I think, basically decided because when we landed in Israel, literally, I think four or five months later... Uh, the Gulf War broke out. Okay. So, you know, we had to carry our gas masks and wear them whenever the sirens went off and all that fun jazz. Um, you've, been, you've been through some shit, huh? Yeah. I'm telling wow. you, like everywhere I landed. <laughs> <laughs> Let, let's just, let, I'll put it to you this way. Anywhere she landed, some shit went down. <laughs> <laughs> that had nothing to do with me. Uh, Let's make it clear. She wasn't the architect of said mass destruction. The more this conversation goes on, the less I believe you. (laughs) But, uh... It's fine. But, yeah, no, um, my dad decided, I think, for economic reasons. Mm -hmm. uh, And, again, for just the way of life. It's because it's constant, you know, threat of war. Mm -hmm. um, And the uh, instability... In terms of, you know, you're thinking, like, can I send my child on a bus? Yeah. Um, I think that was kind of the catalyst for him. And why Canada? Um, I'm not sure, literally. I think uh, everybody was saying United States, United States, mm-hmm. United States. But uh, for whatever reason, my dad decided that Canada was it. Did he speak French at the time? 
Oh no, no. We actually, when we moved here, we land, we went to Ottawa. Oh okay. So my first year in uh, in Canada was in Ottawa. Okay, and then what brought you to Huntingdon? I believe is where you moved to after that, correct? Oh Lord, no. Um, no. After that, we moved to Montreal. Okay. Um, I spent thirteen years in Montreal. My all my children were born in Montreal. Mm. Uh, the reason we moved to Huntington is because I wanted my children to, to grow up in a house okay. and not an apartment. I wanted to feel safe enough to let them ride their bikes outside. I was a little on the paranoid side. Well, I still am. But, you still are. Uh, <laughs> what are you it's okay. Um, I'm a parent too. I can relate. <laughs> but I felt that you know uh, moving further out uh, into the country was going to allow my children to have the freedom that I wanted them to have, which is you know being able to ride a bike without okay. me saying, no, don't do that. You're going to die. <laughs> <laughs> no, but granted, the, she had my older sister and she was living in Montreal and then I came along <laughs> and then I think you were pregnant with Nikki when, when we moved no you're pregnant no no, no I was pregnant with no actually I yes I was pregnant with Sabrina when we moved to Huntington okay yeah, we, we built moved, the house there we moved, built the house out there my father oh, yes. oh wow uh, my dad he he t- found this uh, or I, I think it was you who found it I don't remember who I paid for it. you paid for it yes <laughs> Uh, found this place. Uh, found Huntingdon. Found the lot where the property where they wanted to buy. Paid like a really decent amount of money for it. I think at the time. Like really nothing. Like nothing for a plot of land. And then my father built the house where she where she is now. Okay. And then on his birthday of two thousand four, so July thirty first of two thousand four, we moved in. And then uh, shortly after that, my little sister came along. Okay. Nine months later, actually. Gotcha. So, yeah, so that was uh, the move to uh, to Huntington was for the kids. Okay, and how long did you guys... St- well, I, as I understand, you still live there, I right? still live there at the moment, yes. Okay, so what uh, what happened there? I don't know if you guys want to get too personal or not, but... How do, how do you mean what happened where? Well, so it's, uh, like what had happened for you to move back into Montreal, for example? Oh, and that's... that's uh, well, I mean... She and I weren't as close as we are now mm-hmm. at that time because I was obsessed with my dad. My, okay. My father was like, I idolized him. And then when I was 16 years old, I moved in with him, but there were like legality battles fought mm-hmm. for me to li- try to move in with my dad. But then ultimately they decided it was better off to be with my mother, okay. which happened to be true. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, no, she and I had very rough, a very rough relationship when I was, like, in my teenage years because I idolized my father and, you know, during the, the when they split and... Mm-hmm. Also, teenagers suck. Yes. Yes, they do. <laughs> I understand how other species of animals eat their young. <laughs> Which brings well, me to shit, my... shit, mom. That's one way to do it. That brings me to my next question. So, what was it like raising this piece of shit? No, oh, thanks, you dick. <laughs> No, actually, no. Austin all the was love, a, always the a love. great kid. Like, he was, as a baby, mind you, the first year I did not sleep. And I broke one of your ribs on the way out. Well, <laughs> semantics. <laughs> but, um, no, he was always a smiley kid. Um, he was a really sweet, like, really sensitive child. Mm-hmm. Um, but I re- always, like, I always knew he was a great kid. Uh, to touch base on the teen years and so on and so forth honestly i just kind of 
decided that I needed to have him beside me until a certain amount, like a certain age, mm-hmm. um, to solidify um, some core things, you know? Like what? Like stability and okay. understanding what that feels like. Um, then, you know, open-mindedness. Yeah. Um, I would say just structure in general. Sure, yeah. Um rules are in place which we might not agree with even as adults we're living through them right now (laughs) Um, does not mean that you flush the whole system down the drain and stop cooperating you have to use the system to your advantage sure not try to work against it because you will never win which by the way actually really came in handy for me now that i think about it it really came in handy for me for with the pandemic because during the first lockdown, I was still living with her. I was still at home because I was taking my course in carpentry. But being home and in this confinement, so to speak, and being in a set of circumstances that I didn't particularly like, uh, that really kicked in. Granted, I was still with her, mm-hmm. but it's like, you know, uh, cleaning up after yourself, doing your dishes, doing your laundry, stuff like that. You know, I she didn't have to ask me to do it. I would just do it. Now, back then when I was like 16, 15, 13, 14, 15, 16, fuck no, that wasn't going to happen because I would like to go fit. But I was the evil one. Yeah, she was the evil one and then I moved in with my dad when I was 16, as I said earlier. I'm sure my parents can relate to that. And uh, it was like free reign. My dad's approach to parenting was I didn't need school. I didn't need to like finish high school. I, all I needed to do was start working. And well, from what you've told me about your father so far, none of this surprises me. Oh, he's special. Me. Yeah, he's special. I love him. He's my dad. <laughs> and granted, my father has had a very particularly hard life. And considering where he came from, he was a phenomenal parent. Sure. If there's one thing I can respect my father for, it's that. Okay, that's fair. But um, back to what I was saying. So yeah, so it was free reign. I can do what I want whenever I wanted. I look back on it now and it was like I needed to go through that to to kind of get where I am and to have the relationship that I now have with my mother and dealing with, not necessarily dealing with, but like going through the things that I went through with my father, which was not pleasant. <laughs> growing pains. We'll call it growing pains. Yeah, we'll, we'll call it growing pains. Yeah, my father, he, he he's a very caring individual. It's just he's very jaded and set in his ways cynical yeah i don't know i mean mom you know better than i do i would say cynical but i would also say i shouldn't say that do it do it it's only hypocritical you said hypocritical in what sense meaning that give us give us all the tea well like let's say he'll he'll give you like an example he'll he'll preach uh, certain things like the Bible and so on and so forth and like li- in literal sense and then if you look at what he did it was mind-bogglingly <laughs> exactly the opposite of what he was preaching to everybody so hypocrisy of convenience I would say I feel like that's uh, very common in religious people across yes, the it board is. yes it yeah. is and I say the closer somebody holds their book the, the more careful they... of them you have to be. Yeah. That's not heavy metal. I wasn't into heavier metal. I was like into Evanescence. That's not heavier metal. I know, but... That is not it. Out of, out of that is the most there? adorable thing that anyone has ever said in front of me. <laughs> yeah. But... I like heavier stuff than ACDC. I listen to Evanescence, bro. Yeah, it's just like, was good. 
But um, yeah, no, it was, awesome. he, he had mentioned, he goes, so, and it's funny how your dad is the Roman Catholic and he's the one who listens to like Led Zeppelin, ACDC, like, yeah, Metallica. listening to all these people who were like, but he didn't at that time. That's why out of the two of us, I'm saying I was the heavier metal. Okay. Gotcha. Because Evanescence was like as heavy as, as it was going to get. Okay. Like, maybe it has changed. I wouldn't know. It's been like 12 years, but at that time. Yeah. No. Are, you, are you still listening to Evanescence? Yes. Oh, absolutely. If you Very on, regularly. If, if you they drop the new album. Life, <laughs> I you, know. If you bring on Bring Me to Life, she will lose her goddamn mind. <laughs> no, I'll just turn it up real loud. And, yeah. <laughs> and it's, I've tried to expose her to other types of metal, and she's like, no. <laughs> just no. No, I could change whole, that. Like, you know, pieces, but not as a whole. Because for me, it's a mood. Yeah, okay. I can see that. I'm, uh,. I'm gonna change your mind. Okay. I'll show. I'll, I will show you some some music you show might like. Show her ginger. Show her ginger. She she would like the ginger. Ginger. It's is a really Ukrainian good. metal band, and the lead singer is a female. Wow. Yeah, and she's wicked. I yeah, just as good at uh, at cleans as she is at like the heavy growls and stuff. She's a fantastic vocalist. Absolutely, but I mean, Ukrainian is. or sorry, Russian culture, or you could say Slavic culture for the most part, was very like. Again, perfection. They sought perfection in everything that they did. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you were a singer, you would be, you know, you would train. Well, you would be scouted, first of all. Um, and then the government would invest into you becoming a better version of what you are good at. Interesting. So I was good at running, so I got scouted to be on the running team. I was good at swimming, so I was scouted to swim for a team. I was good at, I had a good ear, so I was put into a choir. Okay. And that's kind of, but I wanted to go into ballet because I thought it was pretty, and my grandmother took me to Leningrad to the uh, Museum of Ballet and so on and so forth, and I was like, I want to be a ballerina. So she was like, okay, so let's go and enroll you in ballet class. And they took my foot and looked at my foot, and they said that I didn't have high enough arch, so sorry. But also, my what? Great- yep. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Because if you're not physically predisposed to be very good at what we're, they're going to be investing, mm-hmm. you know, money into, then why are we going to waste our time on you? Because you'll never become the next ballerina of, you know. Mm-hmm. I kind of, I kind of approve of that, as opposed to like the whole you can do any, you can do anything you put your mind and there's to. There's no winners or losers. We're all winners just for participating. Sorry, I'm really against that. Thank yeah. you, me too. Like either you win or you lose. You, you yeah. suck or you're good. Don't be <laughs> delusional about it. I saw a board game. Uh, I saw a board game once when I was uh, when I was a teenager. I forget what the board game was called, but like the subtext of it was everybody wins. I'm like, I don't want to play the fucking game. Exactly. Dude. What's the point? <laughs> like fuck that. At that point, you but have granted. to be. You have to have some pride. Yeah. Right. So either you play to win or you don't play. You see, the great thing about my mom is is that she's not a snowflake by any means. She also has one of the darkest sense of humor I've ever fucking seen. Which also doesn't surprise me from anybody coming from the USSR. Yeah. <laughs> but granted, my great-grandmother was, like, a badass. Like, her grandma? Badass woman. Yeah, no, she was She was extremely cool. Okay. Like, I remember we'll have to unpack me, that, too, a little bit. Yeah, you told me, she told me a story once when I was younger that she went skydiving or something like that and broke her tailbone or something? No, she broke her wrist. 
Now broke her wrist skydiving. And like, when was this? Well, landing. You have to consider my grandmother. Uh, at the time when she was skydiving, we didn't have these snazzy parachutes that kind of just like you softly land. That's not how. That's not how parachutes and work. To you know, come to a stop. So. Yeah. Well, now that that's how it is now too. If you don't like land ride, and if you come down like straight down, it's not soft. You're still coming down like fifteen kilometers an hour. Yeah. Still break your legs. I went skydiving, and I was landing. It was like really smooth. Were you strapped to someone though? Yes. yes. No, that's the funny. first one I had to be. Yeah. She tandem jumped her first jump. Yeah. And uh, it moved forward a bit. I remember when I discovered music in the last episode. She was like my biggest supporter, mind you. Like there was my math teacher who kind of took me under his wing. Mm-hmm. And then your math teacher that wasn't a math teacher. He wasn't. Right, math sorry, teacher. he was a math teacher, but he wasn't your. Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. Anyway. I remember. But he. Uh, there was also mom. Who was like my biggest supporter? I remember when I got my my when my dad gave me this massive DJ kit that you that I told you about. I remember when I brought it home for the first time and I was playing like I was mixing outside. She was right there with the phone, just taking pictures of it the whole time, <laughs> and like encouraged me to. And she showed me electronic music, some electronic music songs and stuff like that. My all time biggest supporter and my biggest critic. Good, I love it. <laughs> well, that's not so much a critic. I would say that that's kind of like you pushing you to be the better version of you because your potential as far as i'm concerned is limitless yeah but you're also my mom (laughs) no it's not a mom thing i think i on like i know you i think better than anybody so i know what you're capable of yeah and i also see or saw at that time uh, that you were limiting yourself due to different factors the lack of belief in oneself lack of confidence which i by the way had a huge laziness that too (laughs) (laughs) no i had a really big problem not a problem but it was something that like i struggled with as a kid it was self-confidence and carrying myself with pride sure which she tried or not tried but she made me feel better about myself at my like worst moments what was that you gotta bring the mic a little oh, bit yeah. closer. Shit. <laughs> so this is why we gotta get the walls set up. Anyway, but um, yeah, I know. Uh, I she was always like she was at every graduation, every school play, school concert. She was hospital always visit. hospital visit. <laughs> when I was in high school, I got hit really hard while playing a football game. Like I just landed wrong. Okay. And to show you the difference of like between my father and my mother. My mother walked onto the field and looked down at me and, sweetie, are you okay? I'm like, I can't feel my legs. <laughs> no, you felt your legs. I, it was just cold. It was like the surface of my skin was cold. Mm-hmm. But my dad, on the other hand, didn't even walk onto the field. As soon as I got to the hospital, looked at me for five minutes. And he's like, you're going to be fine. And then left. <laughs> he's like, yeah, I have dinner plans. I'm leaving now. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Where my mom sat with me. In like the with a neck brace on, mind you, I had a neck brace on. I could not move because they they, they were scared. I broke my neck, mm-hmm. essentially, because the way that I had landed, like I landed on the back of my head first, and the rest of my body just plopped down. Boy, you got fucked up. What happened? Uh, <laughs> the guy that hit me had grabbed the face mask of my helmet, pulled my head down, and headbutted me, and I went flying up into the air and landed on the back of my head. Like I landed in a very bad position, or at least it was. True. My brothers will judge me for saying this, but I would never play football. Oh, I was on back on the field like in three days. It's <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. dumb. I told him like your first concussion and you're out because at that time we were already, you know, we had the information that you know multiple concussions can cause 
serious issues. A plethora later of problems on in life. Yes, please uh, don't uh, murder your wife and kids. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. then I got into my motorcycle accident and God had a. And then I. <laughs> and then I. Um, in a freaking lockdown. On a, on a, a lockdown <laughs> of all times. Yeah, <laughs> oh my God. yeah, uh, and that was completely my bad because I was stupid. We but, didn't even talk about that last episode. Yeah, I was really dumb. So I bought an electric motorcycle. That is then, pretty dumb. Yeah, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I bought an electric motorcycle. I was really excited about it. And the first person I told, mind you, was my mom. Like yeah. my mom and I are our relationship now to actually come back to our relationship. There are moments where, I kid you not, she'll look at me and go, you can stop telling me things. <laughs> my 18th birthday, she's like, I'll take you to a strip club. My 18th birthday, she's like, yeah, I'll take you to a strip club. I'm like, mom, but you don't even like girls. She's like, I can appreciate a good looking woman. Come on now. <laughs> like, I'm telling you. my like. It, I will criticize her dancing probably. Oh, absolutely. That is why I cannot go to strip clubs anymore. I'm friends with too many strippers. Okay, it's not I'd like the enamor of a strip club is totally lost on me. I'm like that was that was a bad move. You could do better than that. Like, <laughs> You're having an off night. What's going on, man? <laughs> but yeah, so I got into that accident. I was hit by a car. Uh, I got T-boned. So basically, I was at an intersection. I was slowing down to do my stop. I didn't do a full stop. Mm-hmm. I looked both ways. I didn't see him coming because he had came out of his garage. Or at least that's what the cops told me. And uh, he he just whacked me because he lived two doors down from the intersection. Okay. So when he hit me, it was like he turned his head. And was starting to turn his head to look towards me as he was turning to come into oncoming traffic. Saw a little bit too late. And he whacked me. Yeah. It was 100% my fault. Sounds like it was like... I didn't make my stop. I slowed down. No, I made my stop. I slowed down. I slowed down. That's not a stop. That's <laughs> so you, called slowing down. That's called an American stop. <laughs> I got hey, hit by a bro, car on. on the highway. Went through the front windshield of that car. And I walked away, dude, with a cramp in my muscle for a couple of days. I broke the car. Let's just say Russians are fucking tough. Are you sure you're not a moose? (laughs) Well, I mean, she doesn't have antlers, so I think we're good. Not sure. I don't know how much you know about moose, but... uh, I I know jack shit. Female moose don't have antlers, my friend. Well, there you go. You learn something new every day. There you go. Oh, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm good, thanks. But anyway, so that was like two months of hell. And the first person I called, I was in the ambulance, and the first person I called was my mom. Yeah, and it was sense. like, hey, mom. I'm okay. I'm okay, but. And she's like, what's <laughs> let wrong? Me, let me just start this conversation by saying, like, I'm good. Okay, don't worry, but I got fucked up. Yeah. And, and she's like, what happened? I'm like, I got hit by a car. I got into an, I got, I got into an accident. I'm heading to the hospital. I'm, I'm okay. And, but the adrenaline was still, like, in my system. As soon as I got into the hospital, yeah, as soon as I got to the hospital and I was in the waiting room, I immediately, like, had a panic attack. Sure. Well, that adrenaline's starting to wear off, starting to feel it a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I full-blown had a panic attack. Then they gave me Dilaudid and, what is it, Ativan to, like, chill me out? Ah, the typical hospital response of, shh, it'll be over soon. (laughs) Yeah, basically. A little syringe in there. And. yeah, it's a, they give it to you in a pill if you're having a panic attack. Yeah, I would imagine they just come up behind you, put your like their hand over your mouth, and just get you right in the neck. <laughs> it's not that exciting. Yeah, no. But... Hey, that depends. I was in the hospital not uh, not too long ago, and uh, I witnessed a psych patient 
be quite difficult, and they had to tackle him to the ground. Oh, yes, no, then you do the intermuscular sedative. Yeah. But Ativan, usually when somebody's having a panic attack, in order to kind of, like, just chill that person out, mm -hmm. give them Ativan. It takes about, like, up to an hour to kick in. Well, at that point, your panic attack is done. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Like, for, like, in his case, for example, that was not going to be happening. Okay. So, um... They offered to give me an injection, but I also have a fear of needles, which is hilarious <laughs> because I have tattoos. It's, um, it's totally different. That's what I said! It's a fear of convenience. <laughs> Well, no, the difference is, is because when you get a tattoo, the ink is only going, like, the thickness of a dime into your skin. It's more of a brush semantics, than a needle. Semantics. Yeah. Needles semantics, indeed. Are needles are needles. So you can't be afraid of one, but not the other. Yeah. But, the, yeah, so they offered me an injection, and I said, if you put a needle in me, I'm going to freak the fuck out. They're like, yeah, okay, we'll give you a pill. Uh, the doctor, I was, a like, not very kind to the, <laughs> the doctor that I had. Yeah, she was yelling at me to, like, chill out and let the doctors do their job because I was just freaking out, right? Yeah. And my foot is, like, the size of a soccer ball, and, uh, like, I'm bleeding out uh, of my my heel, right? And uh, what was what was worse for, for me was because it was the middle of lockdown, right? So you couldn't have somebody to accompany you. Mm -hmm. So I had to be on the phone with him, basically. Yeah. That's stupid. Because and I couldn't, like, I could have showed up to the hospital immediately. But and then just wait outside. good to him. Yeah. So we had to be like virtually present. <laughs> yeah, and had and honestly, had she been in the room with me, I feel like I would have been better. For be sure, because yeah. my mom is there. She would have yelled at you on the spot instead of over the phone. She, yeah, yeah, she. You f down. like chill yeah, calm out, down, or I'll break your other ankle, bro. Like. Basically. <laughs> But again, to bring in the parallel of my mother and father, I didn't tell my dad about my accident until about a week after it happened when I came back because I went to back home with my mom. Like that mm -hmm. night, we actually, my, my, my oldest daughter and uh, I, we went down to the hospital here, checked him out, put him in the back of the car, Yeah, took him home. And then uh, when I went back to my, to back because I was living with my dad at the time, Mm -hmm. uh, you, you know, he goes, what, what, what happened? I was like, I was hit up by a car on, on my, my bike. He goes, you're a fucking idiot. Like, you don't know how to drive. So just to kind of show you the parallel. Thanks, Dad. Yeah, Dad of the Year, right? <laughs> no, but uh, he's just like, what, you don't know how to drive? I think what he was trying to do was to make, like, to find the silver lining and, you know, make it funny. It just came across very harshly, it, which is a common thing he does. He means well. My father has always meant well. Mm-hmm. It's in his own very interesting way. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. And then, uh, then, then, like this, I think like a few days later, or a few weeks later, or something. Like, no, a few, a few weeks. Sorry, uh, a few weeks later, he's like, the next time you get into an accident, don't expect any sympathy from me. Word. It's like he doesn't <laughs> know what accident means. Yeah. No, he's like, if you end up getting yourself killed, don't expect uh, any sympathy from me. Yeah. Like, what the okay. fuck? All right. Anyway. Okay. Okay, buddy. Like you. Okay. Anyway, but again. Stupid talk. Yeah. <laughs> Moving on. Moving on. Moving on, indeed. <laughs> so you mentioned before that uh, that you work in healthcare. Yeah. Tell me how you got into that. Well, that's an interesting story. I got into healthcare <laughs> because um, I was going to school. Uh, like I, like I had, fi I finished my high school actually at the age of twenty nine, I believe. Okay. Um, and um, this very, very kind interesting person at the um education center or whatnot had sent me for an in-depth evaluation of what i would be apt for okay 
Um, like, like a placement test, kind of? Yes, but this yeah. was, like, done by a guy with, like, masters in psychology. It was a six-week kind of thing that I was going wow. and doing different, you know, tests and whatever, evaluations and so on and so forth. Um, so I did that, and then uh, when I came to see him, he's like, okay, well, I got here the report from this uh, psychologist. Basically, he's like, unfortunately, we have nothing to offer you. And I was like, okay, that's not very helpful. Um, Thanks for wasting six weeks of my time. <laughs> my life. <Yeah. laughs> He's like, no, everything that you're up for requires university. And we don't do university. So I was like, okay. So he gave me the list. So it was basically, it was like from androconologist because it was alphabetical <laughs> to like sexologist, GP, um, you know, like all like you're very intense. Oh, I would be badass. Um, I'm just thinking about how uh, fun of a job being a sexologist must be. Nah. <laughs> no, actually, it's a very. I would. I think it would be very interesting. Me, my personally, I've always wanted to be an endocrinologist. Okay. Uh, basically, your adrenal system. So. Fun times. No, but that's a very very interesting thing because actually, mutu our mutual friend Adriana. She had an adrenal meltdown. So basically her entire like system from like thyroids to adrenal gland and so on and so forth just like went off haywire. Wow. Uh, which basically put, like I read about and kind of tried to diagnose her because she, they to this day do not know exactly what causes all of the conditions that she has. So that kind of, that's kind of how I was like, oh, I really like this. This is interesting, you know. Um, it's very niche. Yeah, but I didn't have the time for it because, um, um, you know, any kind of parenting. No, doctor education would have it taken the next 12 years of my life. Yeah. Um, and at that time, I was very keenly aware of the fact that my marriage to their dad was going to be coming to a very abrupt <laughs> end. So I really needed to take something some sort of core uh, a course that was going to guarantee my ability to provide for them okay so i told them i said listen great uh what do you have and he basically said okay well like i have like nursing assistant but you'll be bored i said i'm not looking right now to be entertained entertained i'm looking for a paycheck mm -hmm. so that's kind of how i ended up in that um I do not regret a minute of it. It's been, uh, yes, it's not, let's say, intellectually challenging. Sure. Um, pays the bills, though. It pays the bills. It uh, put them through school. It, you know, it provided college for my oldest who wanted to go to private. So was able to do that. Oh, and wow. did it gracefully, mind you. Hmm. Like, she did it very gracefully. Whether it was the, when she took the course working through, working in the, ind in that industry, while you know dealing with separating from my father separating from my father uh, raising four kids on her own did it with such grace such elegance such pride so you're a superhero basically oh fuck yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely I, I used to when i was younger i used to say my father was my hero but i can say to, to today to you my mom is my my hero forever and when they say never meet your heroes i think that's bullshit because as I said, my hero it happens to be my mom. So, <laughs> and mind you, 
us as the four of us make me throw up no you suck (laughs) picking on picking on me with with the class now that's someone you can put your hands on (laughs) she showed up to the school and i i very briefly remember my science teacher after that meeting was like i'm very sorry and it won't happen again and my mom's leaving and is like staring him down and it's like don't fuck (laughs) with my kid Bet it won't happen again. <laughs> and, and then you're going to end up dead. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, she was uh, very much upset because when I came home that day and, was, and told her about it, she was fucking livid, like livid. Yeah, no shit. I can't imagine how I would feel if my kid came home from school and told me that his teacher was... Inciting yeah. bullying. Yeah. Yeah, and it wasn't like it was just like, okay, guys, cool it down. It was more like, oh, yeah, no, keep going. I would introduce that science teacher to Joseph Mengele's science experiments. Yeah. He had some pretty interesting ones. <laughs> he did, yeah. But I don't, I, I don't remember you talking about like your experience with that. You just showed up to the office. That's all I remember. No, oh, I showed up to the office. I told the secretary to call his ass down. Um, he came down smiling, and then he saw my face, and he stopped smiling really fast. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then I told him... Uh, in not so many words, but basically I said, um, what is this I hear about you inciting bullying against my child? He's like, well, I didn't think, I thought it was funny. I said, really? Because my son didn't feel that it was funny. Hmm. And I said, um, didn't you go to have to go to university to become a teacher? Isn't it like psychology 101? And um, I said, if I have to come down here again, you're going to be out of the job. Facts. Again, badass mom. Yeah. Uh, and how was the to to kind of like move on because we're kind of going on yeah. the train here. Um. Well, when the beginning of the pandemic started, what was that like for you as a healthcare worker? Hmm. Very good question. It was very stressful. Um. Honestly, but um. I think it was very, very, very temporary because mm. you kind of adapted really quickly, and in order to function continuously, you kind of have to store things or get sure, over yeah. them i think i got over them um were it was you, just a lot of work were you working here in montreal in no, clsc I think, I think then that the, at not at clsc it wasn't the long-term facility and as you okay. guys all heard yeah still did were hit hard yes um the one that i was had a post in was in ormstown one third of the patients who got infected died wow that's that crazy was a really high mortality rate so that was like kind of I think mentally challenging for a lot of the staff because you know we get close to them. Some of them are there for years. Of course, you build relationships with these people. Well, they're yeah, well, they're people. Yeah, of course you will. It was it was really hard, but then, um, like I said, we adapt. I think, mm-hmm. um, and um, but overall, honestly, it wasn't like I'm, and I tend to perhaps maybe minimize things because once they're past they weren't that hard you know yes. what i mean like once it's behind me it was fine um but it was a lot of extremely heavy overtime load so we were i was working what 21 30 days in a row uh wow um, yeah doubles straight. In, yeah, straight straight like straight. no days off no, no, no days off plus doubles uh, in those you know and so on and so forth so there was a lot of hours and was this due to like staff shortages or due to staff shortages uh requirement for more staff on the floor okay uh that was uh, imposed by the government so even if like there was adequate amount of people in normal times on the floor it was inadequate 
in for COVID. For COVID. Yeah. So well, well, why is the reason for it? What's the reason for that? Like, why was there the in normal times? We'll say the amount of people that was because of the precautions that had to be okay. taken because gown up gown down mm-hmm. uh they wanted pe- more people on the floor to be able to maintain the the care um which is not true today because i was at work today and we we're only three people and we have out of 36 people four who are not in isolation so 32 people in isolation due to covid and we're three people on the floor we could get into a, a very long conversation about how our government is responding to the COVID crisis right now. That uh, will Extremely be ineffectively. Yes, yes. The, yes. I mean, like for for anybody who's listening and don't know what's going on in, in Quebec specifically with the COVID crisis. Uh, Daddy Legault, who is our uh, premier, has uh, decided that it's appropriate to give us a bedtime and yeah. close all of our businesses on Sunday because COVID is only active after 10 o'clock at night and only active on Sundays. And is all, uh, also now imposing attacks on unvaccinated people. Yes. Which I don't care. I don't give a crap if you're pro-vax or anti-vax. That you shouldn't wrong. be taxing people who don't want to get vaccinated. Some Nazi shit. Kind of. Some okay, Nazi let's shit. let's not get into that because you're very wrong when you say that. About True. imposing attacks no, on people? No, about Nazi thing. Because actually, being uh, be being facetious fact, again, obviously yes, it's not during, Nazi Germany. This is to encourage people to get vaccinated, mm-hmm. to perhaps save their life down the line. Uh, whereas the Nazis didn't were withholding vaccines from the Slavics. Yes, yes. For them to die. So. <laughs> Now, that that being said, though, there is a whole bunch of other stuff that uh, is worth mentioning when it comes to the vaccines, how they're withholding medication from people for early treatments, and the vaccines aren't as effective as they said they were going to be. It's a, a long conversation. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, in that regard, yeah, I don't, I don't think Legault is doing us uh, any service by imposing a curfew or... There was no data to. Uh, yeah, it was there debunked. Is still no data. Yeah, but that to supports to, that curfew was effective. Somehow. Like everybody yeah. mingled before ten p.m. and everybody got sick before ten p.m. and then they went home or they slept over at their house, which increased their chances of getting infected. Yeah. Also, like it's not enforceable. The uh, the fines that they're giving people, they can't enforce them in court. If you show up and contest it, they have no grounds to to give you a fine. It's a free country can't tell me i can't yeah my, it goes house. against the the what is it freedom yeah. c- c- what is it uh, freedom of movement yeah but uh but also to impose a tax to fine people for like executing their physical autonomy and deciding not to get a vaccine that's that's insanity this is at the end of the day it's not nazi germany but that's fascism you're imposing your ideas onto on onto the people that you're i wouldn't take it that far but that's exactly what's happening. I'm going to fine you because you're not getting something you don't believe in. Okay, yeah, you got a point there. <laughs> no, I agree with that. You just can't compare it to that. No, no. no yeah. Just being facetious. But also, yeah. granted, healthcare workers got really screwed over, so to speak, when it came to the, when the vaccine was first rolling yes. out. They were used as guinea pigs. You, well, it's I'm not, going it's not just to that. say one thing. Go for it. That's what you're here for. We, as healthcare wor- workers, should be exempt of tax fucking period for the period of covid oh, fuck mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. because we were forced to go to work 
we worked our asses off, not because we were forced to, but we were working because we we're there for our patients. But all the overtime we did, we are getting screwed, glued and tattooed for taxes with overtime yeah. because they took every other overtime that we did, the government gets, ends up pocketing it because they cut it off at the source. And then we're going to pay more in taxes come this year mm -hmm. because we had to do so much overtime that now we're going to end up having to pay taxes back to the government for all the overtime that we had to do. It's all a money factory, man. And also penalizing, un uh, what was it? They were penalizing. They were they firing or um, putting. Or uh, suspending. No, they were threatening to fire healthcare workers. They couldn't afford to lose. Yeah. And they lost so many healthcare workers who have changed fields, who have outright quit. Mm -hmm. That they're in such deep hole right now that they are trying to come up with all these incentives. And it just makes no sense. But they didn't fire anybody because they couldn't afford to fire them. They were threatening. And he's like, why don't you just go into and become a real estate broker? I was like, well, I don't know. And why would I do that? And so he basically said, well, you could be making like 250K plus with your personality and you know just the way you are and you're <laughs> smart and blah 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 and I was like and the only thing stuck in my mind honestly I think it's the Jew in me the <laughs> 250k plus yeah no that's all I would focus on too <laughs> and I said so. nothing else and I was like okay but I didn't say I'll think about it I didn't acknowledge the comment and then we went home and I think three days later I came up to him and I said, I just en I'm enrolling in LaSalle College to become a real estate broker. Interesting. Granted, <laughs> the, with her speaking the sick languages and stuff like that, it actually kind of makes her in, in what is it, invaluable, is that it? Is that the word? Invaluable asset or, val or valuable asset, something like that? Well, it depends to whom, I guess. <laughs> Any international marketing firm would be like kissing your ass with money to have you work for them absolutely i mean if you ever have a real estate agency that like specifically targets slavic jews you're the, you're the perfect agent fuck yeah that's actually why i'm that my i gave out when she finally had her when she got her business cards and i started working for the company that i now work with which is in the jewish community i gave it to my boss my clients everything and the, i'm still waiting for Still waiting for calls, mind you. They'll trickle in. You got to build that pipeline, mind yeah, you. Exactly. When they saw the photo on her business card, and she's like, "Wait, she's Jewish?" It's like, "Well, she's Russian Jew, but yeah, she's Jewish." Ashkenazi. Yes, Ashkenazi. Yeah. So yeah. So anyway, so I basically kind of decided, like, as I said, the reason why I would say because I have a lot of respect for Terry and Mirav. I respect them. I think that if they saw something because both of them were like proponents of me doing this and they were like you don't understand you would be really good at this okay and uh as i said i trust you know terry and uh um you know i respect like i respect them and i know that they wouldn't have said something to me just to blow sunshine up my up my behind right sure so i said okay well they see something that i don't know better about so why don't I do that? Because the investment, the time investment was going to be minimal comparing to the possible gain. Sure. Because yeah. real estate school is about a year. 
Um, so anyway, so I enrolled in there and uh, I got into it and I love it. I loved it. Like I, I, I love going. To, I, I love school. I mm-hmm. love learning. Not so much school, but I love learning. Yeah. Um, and it was very interesting and it was engaging. And I, I honestly, I kind of like I've always loved architecture. I was always fascinated by, you know, beautiful buildings, interesting buildings, so on and so forth. Um, and uh, I also kind of have like an innate knack for seeing a potential of a place. Okay. You know, I don't look at it for what it is. I kind of see what it could be. Very sure. much into the TLC aspect of tender love and care just for this building. Yeah, yeah. just so not not the TV channel? Not the TV channel. No? The, okay. the, the saying. <laughs> to clarify. It's called sweat equity. Uh. But also, <laughs> the, with her, mind you, she... Just ha- she just has a way with people, so as like I mentioned in the last episode of where like I was a salesman for a year, I get all of that from her because she, you give her a donkey or something, and she'll sell it to you, no problem. And that'd be an easy sale, to be fair. Well, you, you, you yeah. get where I'm going with it though, yeah. but she cool. she just has a way with people and is impressionable, is charming, is elegant, whatever you want to call it. Selling is an art, is an art, man. That's what I do for uh, for a living right now. Yeah, it uh, takes a lot out of you. And a uh, question <laughs> for you, mom: uh, What would be the advice you would give for people to start investing or to think about getting into a mortgage? Well, well, let's start. Those are two very different questions. So uh, let's yeah, start. So, like, how would you recommend if someone wanted to uh, to start investing into real estate? How would they get started? Well, first, I would like to address because, like, I think this is like a younger crowd. Um, and um, myself and my partner, because I work with a partner who is mm-hmm. Manpreet Kuner, and she is, we actually met at the real estate school, and we kind of partnered up in class for all projects and exams and so on and so forth, and when we left school, we kind of ended up partnering up in business. Um, so one of our passions, I would say, is educating the young people. Sure. Because she had mentioned it and I completely agree with her when I was let's say Austin's age um, a bit younger even your age nobody told me like you should invest in real estate or this is how you or this is what you need to begin about thinking investing in real estate Mm -hmm. so we kind of want to be that someone that we didn't have sure to kind of guide or at least provide information uh, to the younger generation and I mean it's much harder for you guys because I mean that you've seen the market uh, I don't mm-hmm. know if you guys follow that at all but oh, I mean it's very, it's, very very it's not garbage it's it's very difficult to enter for the younger population so but as a buyer or as an investor as a as a buyer and as investor okay. but it's not as difficult like it's really hard to come down uh, to come up with five percent of five hundred thousand dollar property um, when you're in your twenties. Which would be the down payment for a mortgage. That's right? the minimum down payment for a mortgage yeah. to purchase a home, and because the prices are so hard, it is very difficult for the younger people to save up that kind of money to put down. On a house or a condo or any mm-hmm. kind of uh, property. We, we have a really bad housing market uh, problem in Canada too, right? It's very hyperinflated, so everything is very, very expensive. 
I don't know if that's well, the case it's, in Quebec. It's, it's not hyperinflated. Like right now, I personally believe that the Montreal um, uh, real, uh, real estate market is actually just coming up to par to what it is in Toronto and Vancouver and has been for many years. But, but Toronto and Vancouver are very, 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 very expensive. Expensive, but yeah. not overinflated. I mean, look at New York. Look at all of those, you know, epicenters. Real estate is always very expensive um, in sure. the, in large cities, right? Um, so I don't think it's hyperinflated. But I would argue that... Uh, it's just the speed at which the prices rose. But considering that Vancouver is the most expensive place to live in North America, it's it's hard to it's position... It's nice. Very nice. Okay. It's also <laughs> nice. Granted. Location, location, location. But also, it's granted, true. in Vancouver, you can't rent a pot like a pot to piss in for less than a grand. Mm-hmm. But a lot of that mm-hmm. also has to do with like a massive influx of Chinese real estate investors, too. How so? Uh, they're buying up all the property oh. and then raising the prices and but they're selling them back. Vancouver, and your yeah. potential for income is much higher than it would be in Quebec. That's true. The same, yeah. same is true for Toronto. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, uh, so two always coincide. That's very true. Yeah. So um, that would be, but back to basics, I would say like the first thing I would start is um, for people, for younger people to understand the importance of credit. And credit score and being basically generally you know smart with your money so you pay your phone bills uh your well cell phone bills uh on time because that actually does impact your credit score mm-hmm. um and any kind of bill that you have like when you think oh you know like what what is it if it's a week late yeah, it actually at the end of the day it actually has an impact on your general credit score but it also has because credit score is a reflection of your um in the eyes of the banks whoever you would be asking for credit for Mm -hmm. it's basically your behavior uh tendency so if you are fiscal responsibility fiscal responsibility if you tend to not care so much you know Mm -hmm. why would i lend you three hundred thousand dollars yeah you know, if you're kind of like, well, maybe I'll pay it today, maybe I'll pay it next week, what's the big deal kind of thing. So, but I mean, credit score is really important. So building your credit is very important. So yes, get a credit card when you're 18, get it for 500 bucks, you know, mm-hmm. and, but spend within your means. So if, you know, if you can only afford to pay out of your paycheck at the end of those two weeks the hundred dollars to your credit card well you only spend a hundred dollars yeah you don't go and max it out at 500 and say oh it will take care of itself it's not real money because a lot of people and especially young kids when they get credit cards they don't feel like it's real money mm-hmm. it's kind of like somewhere up there i don't know where on iCloud or something it's, it's exactly what happened to me when i was 18 i got my first credit card <laughs> with a limit of a thousand dollars and i maxed it out in two weeks and i was like i don't give a fuck it's not real money exactly and, yeah. but see then it kind of like bites you and you're behind later on and when you oh, do yeah. realize the impact it has on your life it's devastating it's devastating yeah. and you're like well how come nobody ever told me about that you yeah know? It, it's kind of ridiculous that this uh, the system that's so important to being an adult and buying things like cars and like homes it's crazy to me to think back on it and that there's no system in place to educate people on how to like use the system that's actually where you and in your business partner manpreet are leaning towards and going well, into schools towards that that's actually part of our man 
uh, I've already had uh, spoken to at CVR, actually the high school that Austin used to attend. Uh, we're going to be going in to um, uh, give basically like a seminar mm-hmm. uh, for grade eleveners uh, to educate them exactly on those things like credit score. Get How them before you... they're old enough to get a credit card. Exactly, yeah. like catch them while they're young, you know. Yeah. And as I said, we want to be those people that we wish we had talked to us at some point in that. Yeah, age. that's actually what I was what I was going to say is it, I wish I had that when I was in high school. It was briefly touched upon. Very, very briefly, and it was very, very vague. Yeah, there, I, there was no in-depth explanation. And I, I don't understand why there isn't more incentive to teach people about this because it doesn't do the banks any favor to give an eighteen-year-old a, a credit card that they then max out and can't pay back. Oh no, but they it's can. A no, 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 they do benefit from it because the interest. But the interest that they're not collecting because this person's not paying their bill. Ah, yeah, that's a good point. It's a lose-lose situation for both parties involved. Yeah. So I don't understand why no, there I, isn't more of an incentive to teach people about taxes to teach yeah, them about credit absolutely. like these are very important things to learn about yeah i know that's it uh, again as i said it's i wish i had that when i was in high school so the fact that her and her business partner want to do that i think it's uh, noble. It, it's it's noble. noble it's also it's like about fucking time yeah <laughs> you know i couldn't agree more i mean like i like i briefly said earlier uh, we had one person come in for two hours and give us a very brief, vague understanding of like what a mortgage is, what having a line of credit is, or having a credit card. At least you had that. I didn't get yeah, shit. We, didn't get, we had none of that. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, it, having a more in-depth, like you could say, workshop, mm-hmm. I think it would be I great think it be a for mandatory class. Yeah, because it's such an important an thing. Because you're sending young people into the real world. Mm-hmm. And they are going to be getting that credit card for $500 the minute they step out, you know, into, uh, well, no, they live with their parents and they get credit cards. But at 18, everybody runs to the bank and gets that credit card Mm -hmm. because they think it's so cool and so hype and it's the best thing ever. Mm -hmm. And then they end up in deep trouble because they don't understand the consequences. And deep trouble like that immediately. Institutionalized debt. Yep, it's it's horrible. And that's the system we live in. It, mm-hmm. it, it, it's not a matter of paying, like, you know, as the saying goes, cash is king. That's not a thing today. Yeah. It's the it's putting yourself in debt is socially accepted because of things like credit. It's, well, so because there's almost no way to avoid it. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's put yourself in debt. And then based on your payment history, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it will, will lend you whatever. Let's say you're taking out a mortgage for a $300,000 house. And that payment history going all the way back to when you were a teenager. Even that too. You know, so for people like myself, like yourself, who aren't, who weren't very wise with money. I'm still still not great. Me neither. (laughs) (laughs) But either way to have that access to, to, to that knowledge and to have at least an understanding of what it is and what you're being exposed to. I I think it's going to, I knew like abstractly what credit was. And I was like, okay, I need to have like good credit to get a car or a house one day. But I had no concept of like what that actually means. No one like sat down with me when I was like talking to the bank advisor about my credit card. Like, no one told me, like, hey, yeah, by the way, if you don't pay this back, it's going to fuck your shit up for the rest of your life. Yeah, it's just like, it's like, welcome to adulthood. You are now fucked. Yeah. (laughs) Essentially. But either way, you know, I I think it's very noble of of you, Ma, 
to. Well, I don't think it's about nobility factor. Necessity. It's a necessity of yeah. life, and honestly, I think it's. But like, it's you noble. know, everybody keeps saying that young people are our future, but they are. And if yeah. you're not teaching your future, you're setting yourself up for failure. Yes, yeah, as a society in general. Yeah. Hey, we should like build this whole system and then like not teach our kids how to use that system. Mm. Yeah. Which I Great. think is actually stupid. Of course. So, <laughs> it's nonsense. Uh, I know I say stupid with an English accent. For what reason? I do not know. I, I have never so been much. to England. Just to be correct, but it sounds better than stupid. Uh, what, 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 would stu- <laughs> what is stupid in Russian again? Durak. Durak, yeah. I like that better. Vlad. Yes. Or like Bashal like like it just sounds funnier. Or if you're Polish, you know, there's nothing more vulgar. Vulgar, you could say it's worse than German. Or I say this uh, for for my stepdad in the room. This man, I kid you not, every time he's on the phone with someone that he works with, kurva, 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 kurva. He's saying kurva like it's a like a how can I put it? It's like language? English fuck. Yeah. Okay. So gotcha. fuck this, fuck that. You can use it in any situation. Um, it's hilarious it's, it's, <laughs> it's my favorite kind of word anyway so what I want to get back to so in terms of credit so if we're talking to a lot of young people who didn't realize the importance of paying your credit card on time and so on and so forth at some point you do realize that and you want to rebuild that credit Yeah. so I think it's very important to touch on that because it is very possible it just takes discipline and retraining yourself about how you think about money. Mm-hmm. So, first of all, to fix a, your credit score, so your credit in general. Um, so, let's say if you found yourself in a situation, you maxed out a credit card, you decided you weren't going to pay it. You know, ninety da- days lapse, your credit card, uh, your credit score plummets, and you have an R, you know, like R five and all that stuff. Uh, R nine is like bankruptcy. Okay. So you don't want to have R five so or R. This is the first time I'm actually hearing about this, like R scale. R one, R two, R three. So what is it? could R1 you elaborate on that a little you bit? Want to have. Okay. So basically, that the, and says, the R is indicative of what? Like a rate. I don't actually even know what it stands for. I just, okay. <laughs> I just know it as what it for what it is. Gotcha. Uh, but R one is what you aim to be, mm-hmm. to have actually. So R1 basically says that you're responsible, you pay your bills on time, you basically honor all your contracts because when you take a credit card, you're signing a contract with yeah. that given establishment. Um, so R1 is where you want to be. Uh, when you, It's work. Uh, and um, R2 is kind of like you missed, you know, couple of payments like but like 30 days like nothing big deal but when you're falling into like the r5s and r9s which means you just were delinquent basically you were delinquent you don't pay your bills is Mm -hmm. what you're saying to any establishment that you're going to be asking for credit for and they see that there they're like nope not you because you just don't pay your bills you don't respect your contracts um, so we're not going to lend you any money. So to use myself as an example, let me throw myself under the bus a little bit here. So my credit score is about uh, like 590 last time I checked, so not good. So where would that classify me on this R scale? Well, it depends what got you there. Okay. So, you know, like did you ever declare bankruptcy, which no. I don't think so. Um, did you um, 
uh, like there is there is bankruptcy, mm-hmm. so that's like the worst you can do to yourself. Yeah. Sometimes it's necessary, you know, for different reasons, which are so numerous we're not gonna get into. Um, but then a little bit lesser than bankruptcy is a personal proposal, which means uh, consumer proposal. Excuse me. Um, consumer proposal is basically just a little bit a step up from bank declaring bankruptcy. The only difference is when you're declaring bankruptcy, you're saying to all your creditors that you owe money to that. Listen, I can't pay you nothing. Mm-hmm. So bug off. But then your uh, your credit score is reset to like zero after X well, amount of time, like, right? Really, like a zero. But it's like it's like really bad. Yeah. And nobody's gonna look at your file to lend you money. Yeah. Ever, ever again, or no, like no, how does no. that work? That, that is also not true. <coughs> uh, bankruptcy stays on your record for seven years. Okay. Um, depends where and whatnot, but like seven, eight years, it's on your record. Okay. Um, your first bankruptcy. Um, whereas a consumer proposal is basically you're saying, listen, I can't afford to pay my debts back, but I would like to come to arrangement and pay some of it back. Okay. So basically you're not saying like bug off. You're saying I can't pay you the total amount I owe you. However, I would like to reimburse some of it. So you come to an arrangement. Uh, uh, it's, it's like you there are companies who will do that for you sure. they will negotiate how much you're paying back and you would make uh, basically a contract with them for usually four years uh in monthly installments that you can afford to pay so what just to interject there what would yeah. be the difference then between declaring bankruptcy and going that route and going with a debt consolidation firm well c- debt consolidation is different because that consolidation uh, consolidation is basically you're going and you're taking another loan basically mm-hmm. to lump sump everything into one payment instead of paying like five credit cards you're paying only one monthly payment gotcha um with a higher interest though i'm pretty sure is, no is actually works. quite the opposite instead of paying let's say you have a credit card that has 21 percent interest another one has 19.9 percent interest Basically, whenever you're making minimum payments, you're just kind of all kind of covering. You're just covering the interest rate. Okay. You're not actually bringing down your debt. You're actually growing it. At the end of the day, it would take you like 21 years to pay off a credit card, um, <laughs> if you only make minimum, minimum payments. payments. Yeah. Uh, whereas debt consolidation. Uh, sorry, I'm tired. <laughs> Consid- um, consolidation. Con- con- yeah. Consolidation is basically you're taking, you're, you're taking basically another loan yeah. and you're paying off the balance without the interest to all those credit cards. And without tanking your credit score too. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, it does lower it mm-hmm. because you're kind of, you're consolidating your bills and to creditors, they, they see that and they're saying like, well, why did you have to do that? I feel like that should be a service that all banks just sort of offer to their clientele. Yeah, but there's like even programs, government uh, programs now that are kind of like, let's say, because they know that the general population is drowning in debt. So like the government of Quebec has programs to help with debt consolidation, is what you're saying? Uh, Well, they they educate you about it. Okay. Because they're trying to, in some sort of way, trying to kind of bring the people out of the abyss of debt that everybody <laughs> seems to be in. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, <laughs> that seems like common practice at this point, but also, I mean, given with the COVID-19 pandemic, I mean... Oh, that's a whole different animal. The 
Yeah. Like just <laughs> like I mean, I remember hearing something in the about. Uh, I saw a video online about uh, the eviction rate in the U.S. Not in Canada, just in the U.S. It's terrible. It's where, always been terrible, though. Yeah, but I mean, given with the COVID nineteen pandemic, where people are being forced to stay home, and then their landlords are like, "Fuck you, get out." Mm-hmm. We've had a similar uh, epidemic of bullshit here. It's very similar with the rent evictions and stuff like that. It's been happening a lot in Montreal. Well, I, in Canada, I know there was at least federally there wasn't an like a, an initiative put in place where the federal government was not. Like or at least everywhere else in Canada, provincially they were not accepting uh, eviction submissions for, or something like that for a little while here. Yeah, they they weren't accepting uh, eviction notices. Yeah, because yeah. it's just kind of like listen, they can't work. That's the reason why they can't pay the rent. It's yeah. not their fault. It's but mind you, on the other flip side of that, you have a whole bunch of landlords who have mortgages to pay on the properties they're renting out to the tenants. Yeah, and by tenants not paying the rent, the landlords found themselves in a position where they cannot make their mortgage payments, mm-hmm. which puts them at risk of losing that building. Yeah, you know what I mean. So you have to like really consider both sides of that. That, br- that brings to mind a, a good question actually because uh, there's a lot of uh, talk on social media about how landlords are like leeches on society how it's not like a real job and so as a real estate broker how do you yeah, feel about that's that that's a really good question oh, uh, honestly it is a job and a half mm-hmm. uh, I know that there is uh, actually that you know misconception of that a real estate agent just shows up has you sign the contract and comes to collect his 4% to the end of the transaction mm-hmm. Um, no, uh, first of all, being a real estate agent is very expensive. So, you know, we're paying our licenses every year, uh, which amounts to about $2,000. Wow. Um, then you're pay- paying your office fees. So it varies between agency to agency, but it's, you know, it's, a. Uh, uh, you know, it's uh, it can vary from some agencies, 125 a month for, uh, your office fees to eight nine hundred dollars a month. And office fees and like corporates, you, you, what? Uh, well, basically, you represent an agency, and your agency yeah. is there is your support system. Um, so you know, because there is a lot of legalities. Like, I mean, everything we're handling is contracts. Yeah. Right. So contracts are legal obligations that people sign themselves up for. Yeah. Uh, so it's a very intricate world and your agency is there to basically number one monitor that you're following the rules that you know you're doing what you're supposed to do you're living up to your obligations as a real estate broker Mm -hmm. uh they're also there as a support system so you know if you're handling transactions and there seems to be like either questions or issues or whatnot your agency is there for you okay they also handle marketing and you know there's a lot involved so you have your monthly fees for that. Then Centris, access to Centris. We're paying $900 once a year uh, once a year fee. Then we're paying monthly $78 a month fee to have access just to that site uh, that has all our tools in it and so on. We have to do mandatory training where we have to amass a certain amount of points for every two years. That also is costly because each course is anywhere between, you know, like $89 to God knows how many, depending on how much. So it really, it comes into, you have to spend money to make money. Oh, yes, but in a very real sense. Like, you can't say, I'm going to pay my license the next time I make some money. You're going to be paying your license 
if you want to have the opportunity <laughs> to yeah. make that money. It's kind of like driving a car. If you want to have your you ha- your license, you have to take take, you have to do all of that stuff and you have to pay your fees on time otherwise your license gets suspended um so there is the expense side of it investment of school which is not cheap either uh it's a year of your life Mm -hmm. uh that you're going in and uh, you know getting the skills and the knowledge uh, of again contract drafting you know marketing and sales uh architecture you know there's a lot involved in it it's not just kind of like here here's my sign and you know see you later yeah so but in a typical transaction i would say well first of all you have to you know find clients and when you're lucky enough and you get a client who wants to either sell or buy with you uh in the selling process i'll explain because it's a little bit more straightforward so you sign a contract and you don't walk away and kind of put your sign in the front and see you later. Call me when you sell the house. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to upload all the information to the central site. So you have to come take pictures of the uh, of the home you're trying to sell or a condo or a home. And that's you that's doing that, showing up yes, taking the pictures. Yes, we're paying for it out of pocket, first yeah. of all, for the pictures of the property uh, that's going up for sale. We're paying out of pocket for those professional pictures to be taken. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're also going in. We're doing all the measurements on the inside. Uh, we're inspecting the building. Uh, we're taking a seller's declaration from the seller uh, to declare anything and everything they know about the property, the good, the bad, and the ugly, okay. which they're legally bound to. Uh, so if you lie about the fact that you know you have a massive crack in your foundation and it leaks every spring and floods the basement... Right, and you say I've never had water in my uh, basement ever, um, and then you sell the property, and nobody seems to notice it because you covered it up with gyprock wall. You know, you're legally liable for any damages afterwards, and so on and so forth. So, so even there, after you've sold the house, if you, sold. yeah, well, it's called the hidden hidden defect, meaning if you know that there is a problem with a property because you lived in it, and so on and so forth, mm-hmm. and then you hide that fact from your buyers and they have to find out for themselves then yes you're legally liable this sounds like something that would be uh, prosecutable no well it's not a criminal thing they, it's it's a civil court kind of thing where but it's, you're lying on a contract you're lying on a contract which means it's going to cost you money okay gotcha <laughs> a lot of it which minds you i think that I, but also benefited what i i think benefited you with having at least an idea or um, a very, very good understanding of construction. and Oh, it has been a massive plus. Because, mind you, my father, what he does for a living is construction. My father is a, is a very, very well-experienced uh, handyman. Gotcha. But his base, what he's strongest at is carpentry. So building, like pouring foundations, concrete, and whatnot. My stepfather, same story. So she, my mom has that access of knowledge and whether mind you i built that house with your father yes she built the house with my dad <laughs> um but my, but still the the point being is that when let's say my stepfather or my father at the time were working on the house in some way my mom there were days where my mom would come on and look around and just explain to me what's going on or why is this there like she she again her love of learning is having that understanding of why this is there. Why do you have a foundation? Well, you got to have something, like, if not, your house is going to break down. Mm-hmm. Why are... Why is it eight inches thick? Why is it eight why inches is thick? It four feet? You know, like, I mean, the, the technicalities of things, like I said, I had experience 
in terms of like the process of building our own home and then uh, renovating and always asking stupid questions, which there is no, no such thing. thing as stupid no questions. Such thing as stupid so uh, I, I, I am a question person. Uh, a lot of people know me and I was like, let me ask you a question mm-hmm. is how I open that. Um, but yeah, no, I like, as I said, I have understanding, but get back to the, uh, the being a real estate broker and, uh, you know, the misconception of it is that once we sign this, the contract, we start all the legwork. Mm-hmm. So again, contract signing, declarations that have to be made. Um, a lot of, I would say we're part psychologists sure. because selling your home, for example, to a, from somebody who has been living in there for the last 30 years, 40 years, raised their families and, you know, lost people and, you know, like life happens in the home. Yeah. Um, and it's a very difficult process for most sellers um, because, you know, they're parting with this huge part of their life yeah uh so we're part psychologists we're part lawyers we're part contractors we're part designers because we have to you know help our clients to stage the home before the photographer gets there to make mm-hmm. sure that it's presented in its best light you have to argue with people to tell them to declutter declutter the stuff you know because you know it's gonna people, look nice people are hoarders yeah. uh everybody to some level including myself i'm sure you know, we collect shit. Life is busy. Life is big. You know, mm-hmm. I have stuff from, I have their first pair of shoes. You <laughs> know? Oh, no, no. The, her, no, her collection <clears throat> is actually quite interesting. Her her collection of bottle, like, like bottles of alcohol from different countries. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she good. has a collection at her house of bottles from several different countries. She has bottles <laughs> from Mexico from when, when she and I went on vacation there. But mind you, she doesn't drink. Well, I mean, I, I socially drink. Like, socially yeah. drinks, but it's 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 just fun. It's always been funny to me because it's like, my, you don't drink yet. You have like fifty <laughs> bottles in a cabinet from all over the world. You know why she does it? For the look of the bottles. Like she, when she picks a bottle to add to her collection when she visits a country, she is very, very, very picky. I don't care what's in it. It looks pretty. That's yeah. fair. And yeah. it doesn't and, and doesn't pour out the alcohol. Keeps the alcohol in it because of the like the color. Like if it's like a like a whiskey, it's like that brown amber color. Yeah. By far the like a weird collection for me personally, I think it is. But it's also really cool. Jealous. I'm also jealous. <laughs> I mean I haven't even seen it. I'm jealous already, so <laughs> dude, there is a bottle that she bought from Mexico when we went. It's this beautiful Mayan bottle. It's mm-hmm. not glass. I think it's made out of what is it made out of? I don't know. I think it's like plastic. not plaster, but like plastic. Uh, some composite of some sort. But traditional Mayan design. Interesting. Very cool. But anyway, so getting back to, as I said, part psychologist, part lawyer, uh, part, I don't even know. Like sometimes, I mean, sometimes we're movers. I mean, I've personally have lifted and moved and boxed boxes of stuff, you know, to prepare for, for a photo shoot. Um, once that's done and I have spent hours uploading that listing to Centris for it to be visible for the thing, then all the calls, all the requests for visits, they all come to me. The buyer, the seller doesn't handle calls, doesn't make the appointments. So we, we are there for all the visits. So we're there to show the property. We're there to highlight all the, you know, all the good, explain any defects that might be in the home, 
how expensive or how inexpensive it would be to fix that. Okay. You know, like we're there as salespeople at that point. We're selling the home to the potential buyers. Sure. And then in this market uh, that we've been seeing for the last almost two years is multiple offers. You're dealing with, you know, sometimes like we've dealt, we've had like 14, 15 pro uh, offers on the property. It isn't the seller who has to handle the array of offers. And it's not like look on the last page and see what the highest price is. You have to look yeah. at the conditions. You have to see, you know, like everything that's because it is a contract. That's where you start into a bidding war, right? That's the bidding war. And yeah. also, again, you have to know how to navigate it to get your seller the highest price possible mm -hmm. with the best conditions because it's not just the price it's also the conditions that are attached with it gotcha. so we're there for that then we have one that wins so our seller picks that one all right so now we're going into fulfillment of conditions so the basic two are usually the inspection yeah and the financing so the inspection that's when the seller brings their own inspector and they have the property inspected to see for any possible present problems things that might need uh attention in this you know in the immediate future to prevent any problems from happening so on and so forth and then basically again negotiations happen usually for the second time why because then the sell the buyers want to negotiate a lower price because they're saying well we saw this we found that and so again you're you as a real estate agent or a broker you are basically negotiating it yet again to make sure to retain that value that yeah. you got your client with the first offer uh financing we have zero control over it that's basically the buyer who has to qualify for the financing okay and of course that comes into problems quite often because of the prices that are out there and people are making offers sometimes that you know they're pulling numbers out of their behind uh <laughs> when they're making those offers because it's such a you know exciting process and so on and so forth and they're like yeah 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 i can afford that whatever okay and then the, of course there is the stress test that is imposed by the government of canada in order to make sure that the people who are borrowing that money can afford to pay keep that house how does that work the stress they, test okay so the stress test is basically um the canadian government uh imposed it because they said like right now the interest rates are low right like record low um but they will go up mm -hmm. so what happened in the u.s in 2008 you know with their crisis there it's because people were banks were lending money to people who couldn't possibly <laughs> afford to pay it back if the interest rate went up yeah so the stress test is basically right now let's say you can qualify for a mortgage uh, which will cost you, let's say, two and a half percent. But we've seen historically, we've seen interest rates that went as high as twelve percent, thirteen percent. At some point, I believe I heard twenty-one percent interest rates on a mortgage. On a mortgage. That's Jesus. insane. Yeah, this is quite a few years back. So your like, interest rate on a three hundred dollar house could be twelve as high as twelve percent. That's crazy. They have seen that. Um, I wouldn't so, sign that deal with a gun to my head. Well, no, because that was the only way to borrow. So if you wanted to borrow money for a mortgage, you did. Uh, and that was the norm at that moment in time. Uh, when I first uh, mortgaged uh, the house that we live in, I was happy with the fact that uh, I got a mortgage interest rate at six something. And okay. I thought it was a great deal because prior to that, it was like 10, 11% mortgage rate. So 
basically the stress test is even if you if the interest rate for a mortgage today is two and a half percent for argument's sake they will stress test you meaning they will pre-qualify you only if you have the capacity to pay that mortgage if it was at five and a quarter percent okay so if the interest rates go up in the next you know three four five years which they will uh will you be able to keep your house without having to lose it so your interest rate isn't locked in it can fluctuate with the market so if you sign a contract with x amount of percentage for your for your mortgage uh, interest rate if the markets go up they have to raise the interest rate as well if you're if you're signing a mortgage a fixed because there is variable and there is fixed Mm -hmm. so a fixed mortgage rate the max well not the maximum but the most common um, duration of time you sign it for is five years so the contract your mortgage itself can be 25 years or even 30 years Mm -hmm. however you sign that rate for the next five years okay but when your time for renewal comes up in five years from now because your rate is going to so whatever rate is available at that point in time is what you're going to have to sign for okay so today you signed it for two and a half percent five years from nine it could be seven will you be able to make that mortgage uh, payment considering that the interest rate at that time is 7%. So what kind of parameters are they putting in for the stress test? Because obviously they're not going to like see if you can afford uh, something significantly higher than what you're signing for. Like, well, no, it's, it's, for... it's a set number. It's five and a quarter. Okay, gotcha. As the stress test, when you are applying for a mortgage, is five and a quarter. Okay. Even though like my mortgage uh just uh like basically i had to renew i signed for 1.89 okay interest rate for the next five years which is i'm like over the moon right yeah um but it's it's there uh, for the next five years but in five years when it's time to renew i have no idea what the interest rate is going to be right true so that's the stress test and it's basically to prevent the collapse in uh, the real estate uh, market, like okay. what happened in the U.S. Yeah, no, that's uh, 1.85 interest. That's like it's almost nothing. unheard of. It's insane. Yeah. The inflation rate is actually higher, so basically they're paying you to borrow money at this point. Wow. Okay then. <laughs> so is would you say that now is a good time for young people to start buying homes? The best time to invest in real estate is yesterday. <laughs> but since we can't go back in time, the best time to invest in real estate is right now. Okay, gotcha. always. On that note, uh, we're gonna wrap it up with one. I have one more question for you. So, terminology when it, like real estate terminology, escrow. Um, what else? Uh, well, I think the real important ones to go over. Well, I, I actually had a follow up question. I have one of my friends who's a real estate agent wanted me to ask you about the Burr model. For buying, yeah, what are, you is familiar? The model? are you familiar? Uh, elaborate on the so it's like buy, uh, renovate, yes, refi. No, but it's B R R. So basically, yeah. borrow, renovate, rent, reinvest. Okay, gotcha. So basically, that's like if you're looking to invest in real estate. Um, I'm old school, so abbreviations, really. Uh, <laughs> so basically, you want to borrow money, right? 
preferably not your own. Yeah. Uh, and you want to renovate, so you want to bring up the value of that property, right? So you raise the equity in that property, right? Um, so then you rent it out. So that property now brings you revenue. Mm-hmm. That The goal is for you, the revenue that property brings pays for the expenses of that property. Gotcha. So at the very least, you want like to break even. The optimal is that it's a cash flow positive, which brings you actually acts, uh, an income after you've paid all your bills. Gotcha. And then you reinvest, which means you, if you can, if you after renovating and putting a tenant in that building, you want to pull out the equity that you have now grown in there by renovating and so bringing the value up of that property. So mm-hmm. what it's worth now is more than when you bought it. This, this word's been floating around for a little while, and I think it's important to define equity. Equity. Okay, so basically equity is, we'll ba- make it sim- as simple as I can possibly make it, is let's say you bought a house for $500,000 because the market value of that property is $500,000. So then you renovate it. So you change the kitchen, you upgraded the bathrooms, you put hardwood flooring in, blah, blah, blah. Now, after you've renovated, that house is worth $700,000. Okay. So the 200000 which is basically the difference between what you owe on it and what it's worth, that difference is your equity. Okay, gotcha. Okay? So you want to pull, and you can only pull out 80% of your equity in traditional borrowing methods you want to pull out that equity take that equity you pulled out in order to use it to buy another building okay and to renovate rent and reinvest and And it's a cycle of building an empire exactly that okay so that's using debt to your advantage so there is good bad the debt and there is bad debt the debt that you reinvest in Another building, for example, that's going to bring you profits at the end of the day and bring your net worth up is good debt. And the bad debt is credit card debt that you use to either go on vacation or buy those fancy Nike shoes or that, you know, uh, MK wallet and purse and so on and so forth. That's bad debt. Oh, very good. Well, this was... uh a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm glad. Uh, I'm, I'm very happy I was able to get my mom on. Um, Likewise. Thank you so much for coming. It's been awesome. And uh, one more thing before we end it. Uh, for anybody listening out there in the greater Montreal area who's looking for a home, what agency are you with? I am with Northeast uh, Financials because, as I said, we're everything under one roof. Um, so if you're looking to pre-qualify for a mortgage, Northeast is the place you want to start. Uh, Terry and his team are amazing. If you need a real estate agent, myself and others are available. And also, um, you know, notary everything under one roof. And you can contact me personally at 514-250-ALA. So it's 514-250-2552. Perfect. And uh, we're going to put uh, We're going to put all of our social media. Awesome. Uh, yeah, so people can so. find you nice and easy. Yeah. And, awesome. Uh, yeah, so we'll see you guys next week. Uh, a little sneak peek into what we'll be talking about next week. Uh, we'll be drug addiction and mental health. Sick. It's going to be fun. Yeah. Well, maybe. I use that word very loosely. Yeah, shit's going to get real. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you next week. Indeed. Have yourself a wonderful time.
Don't mess with me, don't mess with me.